Well, I am thankful to be here tonight with you all. And, uh, thankful you are in the house of the Lord. You guys may be seated. Um, I think we have some kids who would like to be dismissed. So we'll send them out down the side here. We have ladies tonight in the back. So ladies, going to head back towards First Lady's office down there in the back. Um, and then youth is downstairs. I did not call them kids. I call them youth. Sometimes I want to call them kids. <laughs> yeah. And the rest of you are right here with me. And we are going to turn to the book of Philemon. And we'll probably flip over to Acts chapter 17 and maybe cover a few other verses. And... Before I forget here, I will put my iPad and do not disturb. Um, I too am thankful for Bishop and First Lady and they're out of town getting some much needed time together and anniversary and rest and everything, but appreciate you guys. So if you happen to watch online, uh, give you a shout out, miss you all. Um, it's been a, been a little while since I stood behind this pulpit. Uh, I apologize for that. I've been spending a little time with work in Puerto Rico, and I was just adding it up here. And well, I've done well over 300 hours uh, out there in the last four weeks, a little less than four weeks. Um, the boss, when he saw some of my accounting come through, he was like, oh, my goodness. And that was, that was on the uh, conservative side. But... Um, but yeah, it was, it was crazy. Um, I do appreciate your prayers, as many of you heard online, uh, um, and maybe he's watching tonight, John Vega, a friend of mine and a brother in Christ over there in Puerto Rico. Uh, um, God brought us together. Um, he was on the job site and um, said that he needed to be baptized. And so we went out there to the closest water, which happened to be the ocean, and, um, and got, to, got the privilege to be able to stand there with him on the shore and uh, um, had talked to him just a little bit and said, hey, you know, just go ahead and pray in Spanish. And as John began to pray, um, I thought, man, does that, that doesn't really sound like Spanish, but do I really know Spanish, you know? Uh, and, you know, we're standing, I'll tell a little bit more about it, but we sat down, you know, and, <laughs> and I'm like, man, he needs to know, John, I want him to make sure he understands, you know, we're, how we're doing this, and we're going to take a journey through the book of Acts. But all I have is King James, and he has Spanish, right? And, uh, but we, we worked our way through it, and we visited, and later on we came back to his Spanish Bible, and we highlighted verses that we'd gone over and, and just shared the word. And you know, it wasn't some big, fancy message from behind a pulpit. There was no orchestra playing. We didn't have the wonderful choir. We didn't have a church full of people. We didn't have a half hour before to experience the presence of God and then say, you know what, I, wanna, I want that too. It was just a hungry person. And God said, hey, I have somebody. Because God has sent people to reach people. God sent you to communicate the Word. And I am amazed time and again that people do not get filled with the Holy Ghost. They do not get set free until someone says, God wants to set you free. God wants to fill you with His Spirit. And this is how He does it. And when those words are shared, then God is released. And I'm amazed by that. So don't deprive somebody of an opportunity to meet Jesus because you think you're unworthy to share. But share it. 
Because God's calling you to. It's the way He set this up. He, he sent you out to be preachers, evangelists to the world. And, and it doesn't have to be you, you, um, some big, great church service. It's just you saying, hey, this is for you. And so, so John and I were there, and we, we worked our way through some Scripture, and it was dark out, and, and he asked me, you, know, you, want, you still want to do this? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and uh, we went out there into the ocean, came back, and we're just standing there praying, and and then just was like, hey, has this experience like we read about, has this, uh, I, I didn't even say the word experience, I just said, has this ever happened to you? And then we begin to pray again. And that's when I was like, that doesn't sound like Spanish. And we stopped and, and he said, I try to pray in Spanish like you tell me, but my tongue won't let me. <laughs> I make sounds and words that he never heard. And in and, uh, and the following days, he shared the same things. And, you know, God is so good and it's so amazing um, I think we were, ended up being there about an hour. Power plant lights blinking, the ocean in the background. And, and so I appreciate your prayers. It's, I tell you, it's an experience that I won't forget. And I was like, man, God, you knew I... Now, you knew John needed the Holy Ghost, but you let me participate in that. that. And so thank you for that. Um, well, we can get back over to the book of Philemon here. But uh, turn to Philemon chapter 1. probably should tell you to turn to Philemon chapter 2, but... Uh, You'd be caught off guard there. And if you open up your Bibles, Philemon takes in my Bible all this much space. It's quite a lengthy book, all 25 verses. Um, it's a, almost a postcard message, as one author has, has referenced it. Or, um, or maybe that was one of my professors, but you could stick this whole letter on the back of a postcard. And, you know, I think I, I have a verse here. Um, we'll go ahead and read um, verse 22, um, or verse 21. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that if thou wilt also, do, that thou wilt also do more than I say, that thou wilt also do more than I say. And, uh, I just want to talk to you tonight about let's do theology. Let's do theology. Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak to us. I ask you to change our hearts and lives. God, draw us closer to you. God, may we become more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's do theology. I originally thought I would read it to you in the New Living Version, but uh, Paul here writes and he says, he tells Philemon, knowing that thou will also do more than I say. And this letter here, a very short letter, like I say, could fit on the back of a postcard. Um, Paul begins it by writing, saying, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And he is writing to his friend Philemon. Philemon likely met him maybe in the city of Ephesus, um, and, and uh, met him there and then was filled with the Holy Ghost. I had been converted into the, um, this way of Christianity. Um, and now he's back in Colossae, and Paul is a prisoner, likely in the city of Ephesus. And he's a prisoner there, and he is being served by another person that he met named Onesimus. And Onesimus happened to be a slave of Philemon. Now this topic, it's a, this is a, a book that the quizzers have been working on this year. And it's one that when people look at it, they say, wait a second, I, I, um, 
how often do people touch the book of Philemon? Now, when I heard that, I was like, well, why not? <laughs> um, but sometimes maybe I'm a little ignorant to, to stuff in the world. And, and so I begin to think more on this book and, and to appreciate it, what Paul does here. You see, this is the only letter that Paul writes where he calls himself a prisoner in the greeting instead of saying that he's an apostle. Paul would often write and he would tell people that he was an apostle by Jesus Christ, that God had made him an apostle, letting them know, hey, my authority stands because God gave it. I'm not based on some other man coming and saying, hey, you're an apostle. Uh, um, but God gave it. And so when I come and I preach to you, I come because God sent me to preach to you. But tonight when we talk about let's do theology or doing theology, Paul here opens up this letter to his friend as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And he dives into it, and as you could read down through here, he, he lets him know grace to you and peace from God our Father. And, and he, he says, I thank my God making mention of thee in my prayers and hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast towards the Lord Jesus, towards all the saints. You're a good person and you're a good Christian. You see, Philemon had church in his house. I don't know if there was other house churches at that time in Colossae, but Philemon had one. And when, and when you had church in your house, it would have been like um, people who would come over, but also your children. And, and if you had slaves, they were considered to be part of your household. They didn't have a building to go to. They had to hold it in their homes. That was that way for the first couple hundred years, actually. So when you talk about small group in your house... You're kind of going back to the early church, the way it was. When you get together with each other, you're going back to the church when it first was forming in that, that coming together. And I know we read about that in the book of Acts and how they had fellowship and they went from house to house, but, but there was a, something about community and family and most church business was done around the, the kitchen table, around breaking of bread. Um, and so he writes to him, and he's telling him, hey, he says, for we have great joy in consolation, verse 7, in thy love, because of the bowels of the saints, are refreshed by thee, my brother. He's saying, hey, you're something special. I see your heart. You're a good person. You're, you're somebody that, that takes care of other people. You're somebody who's a part of this. And, you, and, and we have great joy because of your love. Your love. He highlights that. He brings it into the picture. But then here tonight as we talk, and I would have, if I'd been here the entire month, the, the topic was God and culture. And thank you, Pastor Trevor, for, for covering this month. But God and culture. And, and Paul is dealing with here, here with a cultural issue that is running full speed ahead and colliding with the Bible and with the church. It's set on a collision course with Jesus Christ. And that is the topic of slavery. Now, this was something that was fully embraced at that time by the Roman Empire and by society. And, and even in Jewish history, if, if you conquered a place and, and you couldn't put your own family and brothers into slavery, but you, you could take other people. And so it was something that... that Society-wise, they didn't think anything was wrong of. 
Slavery wasn't something like in the history of our nation that seemed to be more towards just a, maybe a singular group of people, but it could be anybody. Jeremy, you could sell yourself into slavery to pay a debt. And, and once you were there, you were that person's property. And they could treat you however they wanted and do whatever. Now, you could be set free. You could maybe earn some money and buy your way out. But you were, I don't even really want to use the word servant, but you were their property. They owned you. And when you looked at the early church, quite a bit of the early church was actually made up of slaves. And yet you then had also people who owned slaves. And that's where we come to Philemon. And when Paul comes into this situation, he needs to address it. And he needs to get it out there. Now Paul, when he would, would deal with different topics, sometimes when he would write the church of Corinth, he, would, uh, uh, he might rebuke. He might admonish. He might say, you can't do this anymore. Brother Chris, telling people they can't do something, that seems pretty easy. I think that comes natural for all you parents out there. <laughs> Don't do this. They never listen to me. They're not in here tonight, so they won't feel bad. Um, <laughs> any parents like feel that way? All right. Yeah. When they're really little and they cry, it's, it's a lot easier because you know that they can't like listen to you. <laughs> they, you just need to listen to them. <laughs> but, uh, but it's easy to tell somebody a command. It's a lot harder to get them to really adopt this book. And, and so Paul here has decided there's an approach that we need to take. And, and that's something I want to bring out tonight. And we're going to hit it even more as we, we get on. I have a section here, and I, I called it approach. And I wrote, approach, approach, approach. But Paul looked at this and said, you know, there's an approach I need to take here. There's something that we need to do to address this issue. You see, the church is not supposed to follow life the way society defines it. Your values and your morals are not to be defined by the culture around you. You can't decide that, that something's right or wrong based off of what the Republican Party says. You can't decide that, that something's right or wrong because the Democratic platform tells you this is what our values should be. You can't decide that everything's okay because your coworker says, well, I think that's right. You can't decide because of how you feel like laws should be written or not written in this country that that's the way God wants us to live. In fact, there may be laws that you do or don't embrace that go on the books in this country. It doesn't mean that you can live that way. You, you, you may look at, and, and I'll be careful to go too far here, uh, at least uh, you might think I went too far, but you might look at how you think drugs and all that should be legislated in this country, and I could talk to one of you and you think a law should be this way, and another one of you could, might think it should be that way. That doesn't mean that you get to go use drugs just because somebody made it legal. You, you can't do that. Just because it's on TV doesn't mean it's good to watch. Just because all the food is in the store doesn't mean you should eat all of it. Okay? 
Just because your friends don't like her doesn't mean you don't get to dislike them too. Well, everybody didn't like her. She was a jerk. (laughs) So it makes it right? No. Just because society defines something, you're supposed to be a leader. And I sometimes get frustrated just a little bit at trying to define leadership because there's a million books out there on leadership. And everybody's writing a leadership book, but I'm sorry. If we had a group of 10 here and we said, we want, Jeremy, I'll pick on you again. Jeremy, I want you to form a group of 10 people and I want you to lead it. Do you know what happened to the other nine people? They have to follow. We have 10 people. One's been designated the leader. So now I'm going to teach the other nine how to be leaders. If I'm sending them out to run a group, you say, I get that. But if I'm asking all nine to follow Jeremy, they might need followership. So you say, well, where does leadership come in? Well, let me tell you just a little bit. Leadership comes in in being, in our case, following after the principles of God, whether the people around you do it or not. And if you were part of Jeremy's group and he asked you to do something that you should not do, being a leader would be stepping up and saying, I can't do that. And, and, and you say, okay, what other things leadership? Be, leading when the other people in your group would say, well, I really don't want to follow Jeremy, you'd say, I'm going to go ahead and follow Jeremy in this right way. Why? Because I, I'm doing the right thing here and I want to accomplish the mission. And so, and so those would be reasons why somebody would maybe teach leadership. But in this world, you have to be a leader, and you have to be a leader on your job, in your neighborhood, in your society. Jesus said in John 3, chapter 19, and everybody knows John 3, 16, right? But in John chapter 3, verse 19, he says, And this is the condemnation, that the light hath come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So the world loves darkness. They don't want their sins to be revealed. They don't want stark reality to be put on their situation or their problem. But by the very fact that Jesus came into the world, He is light. God is light. And and He illuminates the situation. And when you are comfortable living in your sin, and suddenly the light comes on, And suddenly I just had the image of cockroaches in my head. And the light comes on and... (laughs) That's pretty gross, right? And somebody nodded their head over there, so they had the same image in their head. (laughs) And the light comes on and sin goes... Please don't uncover what I'm doing over here. Please don't do that. Suddenly I just wondered why they even run. Like, do they inherently know I'm going to step on them? (laughs) But... uh, Um, but their deeds are evil. So you, as the church or the body of Jesus Christ, fit in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, when Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and give light unto all that are in the house. He's saying you're a light. Sister Nancy, they see you. So if we are following after Jesus Christ and He's the light, then when you, filled with His Spirit, walk into situations and live the way you're supposed to, you illuminate things. And it doesn't mean that you're out there telling everybody they're going to hell. 
But it does mean that consciences begin to be convicted. And they begin to get touched. And sin doesn't like it. Light just stepped in the room. And everything wants to hide. So when you run into conflict, it might just be because you were doing right. You brought light into the situation. So what does Jesus tell us? Be careful where you light your light, right? No. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And what is going to happen to them? They're going to change. Because they're like that demon-possessed man. They're like legion. And while sin is pulling back on them, there's a cry in so many hearts that says, just let me get to Jesus. And he says that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. You know, we know from the book of Revelation that the church is going to go through persecution and suffering. But why? Because you've made up your mind to live for God. And so you're going to live for God. And the enemy of this world would like to come after you and sin would like to thwart you. But I'm going to live for God anyways. I'm going to stand up for Him. And I'm going to go ahead and be a light. The world needs you to lead, not to follow. Not to follow. And so Paul runs into this situation where the gospel is being spread and it's out there and it's like wildfire. And then he has... You filled with the Holy Ghost, and you filled with the Holy Ghost. And yet, we've got this conflict of slavery. And it's accepted by society. And it's embraced. And you think it's okay. And and you're, you're, you're going after it. And Paul says, I need to address this. And so I think it would be very easy to say, stop it. Don't do it. So why would I talk about this with God and culture and let's do theology? It's because Paul is one of the first that's really hitting this head on. And he takes an approach. And this is something I really want to bring to you when you're dealing with topics and situations in the world. Your approach matters. Because are you trying just to be right? Or are you trying to get the message across? And are you trying to reach? And the first thing that Paul saw is he saw that Philemon and and Archippus, his wife, and everybody in that household and Onesimus were all people. They were all people. And Onesimus mattered. And Philemon mattered. And so we have Paul over here who is an apostle, who really laid out to Christianity and and, and wrote most of this New Testament, had such great influence on it. And yet he is there and he says, it's time for me to write a single letter to a friend. And, And I just want to tell you first off, I see all the good in you. I see all this greatness in you. I see your love. I see your kindness. I I see who you are. And I'm just going to remind you of who you are. And then I want to tell you, yet for your love's sake, I rather beseech thee also as one, as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, 
I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. I, I don't know how to portray this to you, but, but we have some great examples that went before us. And so we have Paul that we see as an apostle, and you're like up here. But you know what Paul did? If you looked at the grand scale, you would see all these rulers and people of authority. You'd see merchants. You would see, see regular people. And then down here at the bottom, you would, see these, these, you would see slaves. And then you would see prisoners right in here. And Paul doesn't say, I, Paul, an apostle, who should be listened to. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner. I'm down here. And you know what? Just like Jesus did, I found somebody out on the street that was running for their life. Why? Because if somebody caught them, they were in trouble. Why? Because they were somebody's property, they had stolen goods, and society said they should be arrested, imprisoned, and returned. And you could do whatever you wanted. And yet he comes along and he says, let me tell you about Jesus. Now in Paul's society, follow me, we all know that slavery is a sin, but in Paul's society they didn't see it that way. And so Paul could have said, oh, I'm an apostle. I'm up here. Let me preach to the crowds. Let me get out of this jail and do this, right? But no, he's over there. Anesimus, let me tell you about Jesus. I know the way society sees you, but I know the way Jesus sees you. And you're my brother. And you know what that's saying? As much as God loved the Apostle Paul and struck him down on the road and sent him to be the Apostle to the Gentiles, so he called you Onesimus. And he's pulling you out of your condition. And Onesimus would have said, but what about this and that? And why should I even believe your gospel? And why should I even embrace that? And look what people did to me. And never mind that, Onesimus. Let me tell you that Jesus loves you. And He's going to change everything. Let me bring you the love of God. So how does he address this? With Philemon. Ah, He invites Philemon to apply the Bible. And he does it in such a beautiful way. He says, oh Philemon, I see the love in you. And you're, you're a person that loves. And now we got a situation. So let me just tell you about my brother. And let me remind you, I'm a prisoner. I need you to see me down here. You see, Philemon knew Paul because Paul had ministered to him. And he was a father in the faith to Philemon. And Philemon owed his spiritual life to Paul. He owed his whole life to Paul. And now he's riding upward to him. And he's saying, hey, let me tell you about my brother. Not about a slave, but about my brother. You can go ahead and stand up. This is what he did. Let me tell you about my brother. My brother. And you know what? He's been ministering to me. And he's been so much a blessing to me. And he's done such great things for me. And, 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 but we got a situation. And we could keep spreading the gospel and doing a great work. And I really need him here. But he ran away. And in our society, we need to get this fixed. Because how was life going to go on for him with this situation and problem over his head? Him having to hide out. Him, him oh, you stole and you owe debt. So Paul's like, Right now, he's got to come back. And he's asking Onesimus to come back. And he's got to come back and he's got to 
And there's a debt that needs to be paid. But I, Paul, a prisoner, I'll pay it. Let me pay it. Let me be the one that owes it. Let you put it on me. And then I love it. And we're not going to read all these scriptures, but what does he tell him? Never mind the fact that <laughs> you actually owe me more because of what I did for you, but we'll just kind of mention that in an aside as if it really wasn't there. You can go ahead and sit down. Um, it, it, Paul has a lot of things he throws in here and he mentions it. He puts it out there. Paul's not playing tongue-in-cheek with Philemon. He means it that Philemon was full of love. But he is letting him know that you are brothers. He's my brother and he's your brother. You see, Paul, Paul by no means embraced this topic of slavery. And I thought I'd grab a couple verses in case you were like, well, wait a second, I hadn't thought about that before. If you looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 21, he, he's addressing this topic, but then he lets him know, if you can get your freedom, do it. If you're in your situation, live for God. But if you can get your freedom, do it. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29, he, he, he reminds us, he says, For you are all children of God by faith in Christ. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you all one in Christ. And if ye be Christ, ye are Abraham's seed. He's telling us, hey, wait a second. There is not people that are here and here. And you know what that addresses? That addresses slavery. You know what it also addresses? Male and female. It addresses sexism. I told my daughter the other day, you know what, you can get into psychology, and I embrace that, go ahead, do it. But as you dig into this Word, everything is in here about how you should treat people and how you're going to get it right. And when you follow this book the way it's supposed to be, guess what it was the end to? Slavery. And Paul was letting him know, hey, let me just bring a topic to you, and let me tell you, this is your brother. What are you doing? So you're saying, wait a second, Lucas, we, I don't own a slave. Why are you even bringing this up? This is, you've spent such a long time on this tonight. Well, first off, look around at your brothers and sisters. And how do you view them? Do you rank people in society this way and this way? Do you say, well, <laughs> this person's a little bit more popular Nobody thinks that much of this person. So, or do you see them as your brother and sister? And then secondly, why would we talk about this? Because you need to apply Scripture to all of life's situations. You've got to take it, and you have to apply it. And that's what he's doing here with Philemon. Your approach your, the way you approach something matters. We live in a world, a large Christian world, and yet people are across the board on their understanding of this book. And so when you come to them, there are people that are filled with zeal. They're hungry, they have a passion for God, but they don't understand everything. And so you can sit down with them and you can invite them to do the book with you. We have a Bible study back there. It's called Beyond Belief. And when you sit down with that, what's the whole point behind it? Let's go a little deeper. 
I know that we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, but what does believing mean? What does real obedience mean? Philemon, what does it mean to truly be a brother? What does that mean? Oh man, there's so many beautiful scriptures in here. I'm going to pass over way too much. Um, ah. Verse 16, he says, not, not now. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee. He's just telling him, hey, when you receive him, you know, when you get him, not now as a servant or not now as a slave, but above a, a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me. Oh, I love him. You see that? If, if the Apostle Paul came along and he said, oh, this is my brother, all of us would be, oh, that's my brother too. <laughs> Mine too. Wow. I, let me get on board. Could I be considered that? Could you call me that? And he says, especially. And then he goes, but so much more. I'm going to butcher it here. Um, but how much more unto you, Philemon, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He was part of your household. And as being part of your household, he's considered family. And so much more to you. He's your brother. I often say this about people at work. Bosses and managers sometimes, it, they treat their employees like their kids on the t-ball team. And they want to yell at them. And they want to say they're a bunch of lazy people. And they ordered them around as if they somehow were a little bit, didn't have it all right up here. And I'm like, but those two people then might go out and the boss might have to sit in the school board meeting as an audience member while that employee sits on the board. And I'm like, wait a second. You both mow your yards. You both pay your bills. You both are members of society. But yet when you get on the job, you somehow treat them like they're less than you. Instead of saying, hey, I've just got a role to help manage this thing, but let me give you some respect as another person, as somebody my equal. Let, let me treat you right. And, and, and that's Paul saying, wait a second. Let, let's come up higher. This is your brother. What are you doing? So your approach when you sit down with somebody and this is something new to them. See where they're at. See where they're coming from. And then make it a platform to build off of. What did Paul do here? He understood Philemon loved Jesus. He understood that Philemon was Paul's brother. He understood that he wanted to see Christianity grow and that Philemon had a church in his house. And then he pulled on Philemon's love. And then he said, hey, this is how I see our brother. Let me tell you how you should see your brother. And then instead of saying, now you go do this, he's like, I expect that you're going to do even more than what I said. And you want know, to you know what? If it's true that the Onesimus, written about, I think, 60 years later, as being the bishop or... The, of Antioch. Irenaeus, let's see, I have it right here. Possible that Irenaeus, was the, 60 years later, was the one referenced by Ignatius as being the bishop of Ephesus. 
of Ephesus. It is possible that because of what happened here, that Onesimus, as church history would, or tradition would say, went on to become the leader of the church in Ephesus. But why we have a church in Colossae and we have now a church in Ephesus and there was somebody that said, hey, I'm not here just to beat you over the head, but we have a difficult topic and I need to figure out how to communicate it with you. Your approach matters. Sometimes you need to correct, let me say lovingly, Sometimes there needs to be rebuke. Paul did this when needed. Sometimes he pled with people when it was needed. And sometimes he invited them. A few months ago, I came to you out of Acts chapter 17, and, and we talked about Paul on Mars Hill. And when Paul went to Mars Hill, when you read that passage, you might think, well, this is, this is something kind of radical. Paul went out and stood on this mountain or on this hill, and he began to holler at people and to teach and preach. I could never do that. No, Paul went into the public sphere, into an acceptable forum, an acceptable place, to talk to people who wanted to hear. It would be as if you were invited to a college campus to give a speech on a topic that the college said, please, Jeremy, would you come in? I've been picking on you now. Would you come in and would you talk to us about your views here? So Paul went out there and he stood on Mars Hill amongst all these these altars and things to, to different gods, and he began to talk to them, and, 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 and he began to reach into their culture. He didn't say, hey, let me reach back into the Hebrew Bible. Why? Because as much as that would be an authority, they didn't know all of that. Instead, he reached into their writers. He opened up by greeting them and respecting them and, and, and connecting with them, just like he did with Philemon. And then he began to share with them, saying, I noticed that you had a question over here. And let me reach into some of your philosophers. And he got their attention in their format in a way they could be understand. And then he said, let me now pull on your desire to learn and teach you something new and greater. And there were a lot of people that walked away that day. But there were others that said, something got a hold of me here. Let me learn and let me grow and, and, and let me come find out more about this. You see, Paul could have stood there that day and said, you're all going to hell. And many people maybe would not have listened. They would have said, wow, that guy, I don't have that, no time of day for that. Or he could have said, hey, let me find a way that I can connect with you. I, I would ask you a couple things tonight. One, I would ask you to pray about other people of God, help me to see them the way you see them, and then help me to connect so that I lead them to you. You see, your lifestyle is impacting people. We started out talking about that. You need to be leaders. And right away, they notice how you treat people. They see how you look at people. I had a guy the other day, I don't know why he said this. Maybe I'm reading more into it. But I had known him all of like three minutes. And he's like, I see, I see the way you look at people. And I'm like, oh my goodness. He's like, you look right at people. I was like, what? <laughs> and, and I was like, pats on the back. I don't really want to mean it that way. What I'm saying is I was like, wait a sec, this man's already analyzing me? And so, so if he saw my eyes go places that my eyes shouldn't go, or, or, how, or the facial expressions, like he's reading those, and he's judging me based off of that, and he's like, 
but you're treating people this way. And it mattered. And, and there was somebody else that was talking, and they referenced something from months ago. I never met this person. But they said, the way you treat people came up. I was like, wait a second, that's God. And so if I treated somebody wrong, that comes up. And if you treat them with respect, that comes up. So pray, God, how should I interact and how should I treat people? How can I communicate you to them? How can I do theology? How can I bring the Word to them so that they will embrace it and come after it? What's the right approach? Do it where they live at. And then secondly, I would ask you about yourself because maybe a lot of you want me to stand up here and give you a list of do's and don'ts. Don't wear blue anymore. Allah, none of you is going to listen to me on that, right? You have got to fix your hair exactly this way. My boys comb their own hair. Just want you to know that in case you thought, wow, that's a great hairdo. <laughs> Not sure about that. Either way, it didn't come from me. They comb their own hair. They're very adamant about that. And I'm okay with that. Once in a while they say, hey, can you help me? Um, but, but how are you applying? You know, I could give you a list of do's and don'ts, and I could walk you down through. It's got to be this way. It's got to be that. You can do this, and you can't do that. And we find that easy. But Paul is teaching us something here. Even on the most critical issues, it's time for you to start inviting this book into your life and doing it. And, and I was, as I was thinking on this and talking to God and... and 1 Corinthians in uh, chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? He asks us actually as a question, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Did you, did you know this? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves and mankind. I'm telling you, you've got a whole society out there that says this is now okay and are angry at you because you would live otherwise. And maybe 20 years ago, you would have been like, really? No. Society has plastered it everywhere, and they're coming after this, this doctrine in church, and what you preach is, is, is suddenly going to be considered a danger and a threat in society because these very words right here condemn the darkness. And then Paul goes on and, and as he's unfolding things and you have people who think they can get away with some stuff and as he's writing and, and then he also says, you know, all things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I shall not be under the power of any. So he's covering some broad topics here. There's things that you just shouldn't do and there's things that maybe you think are okay to do. But he's telling you, he says, Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy them, both of it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then make the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? I'm asking you tonight to do theology for yourself. Because you can come to church and you can say, okay, just give me a list. Or you can go ahead and begin to apply the book. Paul here is saying, hey, don't you know that your body are the members of Christ? And he goes on and he admonishes, he says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth his own body. 
It's not one I want to really highlight. Just I really want to highlight verse 19. He says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Sometimes you say, well, I think I can get away with this. I should be able to live this way or that way. I would ask you tonight, how does Jesus want you to live? Instead of just trying to ride a fence or to cut a corner, could you also do theology with me? Could you say, God, bring me understanding in this book? What does it truly mean to love others? What does it truly mean to be pure and holy? And how do I apply that to the next situation? How do I apply it when I've offended another person and I realize it? How do I apply it when I want to go ahead and watch a a movie or a TV show, and then I get into it and I realize, something doesn't seem like maybe I should be watching this. Oh, it's okay. Go ahead and begin to grow up in God. And, and I don't just mean that you are learning greater principles that we taught across the, the, the pulpit here, but that you take it and say, okay, God, you want me, my body's your temple, and you want me to be pure and holy? How do I do this? Don't try to justify sin in your home. Don't try to justify your language even though down inside you're feeling conviction and it's not right. And don't try to justify being a jerk towards other people. Instead say, God, how do you want me to talk? How do you, what do you want me to watch? How do you want me to, to deal with other people? How do you want me to dress? What do you want me to do? I, I have shirts that that I put on. And, uh, and it's not because I ate too many donuts. I put them on and they just don't feel right. I, I'm not telling you that I get out a tape measure and say, well, how long was this? or anything. I, I just put it on and it didn't feel right. And finally I'm like, oh, this shirt's okay. And then I'm like, do I really want to go outside and all day feel like I feel awkward in this piece of clothing? And I go back and I'm like, find a shirt that you feel comfortable in because you don't want to go around with something that you thought, Lucas, the sleeves were too short on. That you thought something wasn't quite right about it. And, and, and even though I couldn't have placed my finger on it and said, well, this is why I'm not going to wear this shirt. But it didn't seem right. And I peeled it off and went and got another one. Why? Because I was like, God, this is the way you want me to do this. I've watched things that afterwards I was like, man, God, I wish I wouldn't have watched that. And other times I'm like, Click, thank you, Jesus, that we did that. And, and I often go to different sources and sites and say, hey, let me just look up in common, common sense media. Just because it says PG-13. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we don't get to watch that one. And then sometimes I'm like, you know, it's all acceptable to do. But it's just not worth my time. Why? Because I am the Lord. You know, I've realized I'm hitting right up here on the clock. Could we stand to our feet? I know in many ways that the topic of Philemon is a heavy topic. 
It's one that shows how the church first began to attack and deal itself with, the, with slavery. And its ultimate end was that when you see your brother and sister, you cannot embrace slavery. You have to let it go. And so here for Philemon, he was told Onesimus is your brother. And the ultimate end result was you need to be his brothers, not one ruling over the other. But Paul went about it by helping him to get understanding and then just left him there to be like, what are you now going to do with it? Society says it's okay right now, but what are you going to do? And so when you reach other people, are you truly going to reach them? Or are you just going to offend them and drive them away? Are you going to get results by doing it the way that God would give you wisdom to do it? Or are you just going to feel good about yourself? And then with regards to yourself, are you just going to be a surface Christian and just hear a word? Or are you going to apply it? Because at some point, the letter ends. And I expect that you're going to do more with this than what I told you. So I invite you with others and for yourself to do theology. Why? Because we're supposed to lead culture. We're supposed to reach others and we're supposed to change our world. Lord Jesus, I ask you to, to reach into our, our hearts, God. And as we opened up this service, we asked you, God, to, to draw us closer to you. So I ask you to help us, Lord, to practice this word, to change other people's lives, to meet them where they're at. Oh, God, and to, to, to voice compelling words and to do it in a wise way. And some may turn against us and, and society as a whole may drive back against us and ultimately be, be, um, can try to condemn us, God, because we're bringing light into the moment. But there's people's lives that need to be changed. Sin that needs to be abolished. And oh God, and souls that need to be saved. And we, oh God, as the body of Christ need to come up Instead of going down into the pit and embracing the, 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 the grinds and the corn husks, God, we need to come up and be higher and to be like You. Help us, O oh God, to unfold Scripture, to apply it and to do theology. Help us, Jesus, to become like You, to put sin aside, Lord. Oh God, oh Lord, not just to preach miracles and signs and wonders to others, but to continue to embrace the freedom of salvation brought by You, O oh Lord. Help us to become more like You. Oh God, to lead our culture, to reach others. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go ahead and give him a hand clap. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You are good, oh God. Well, this Sunday is Community Sunday. And I urge you to come. And if you have somebody that you can bring, bring them. And let's have church together. Let's have church. Let's have church both in fellowship and in worship to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And let's have church in celebrating the Word. God bless you, and we'll see you this Sunday.